And Lord, we thank you for the privilege now to give. And so we bring this offering before you with thanksgiving for your provision and with trust that you will meet all of our needs. And so we want to put you first, even in our finances. So we bring this offering as an act of worship in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm David Holt, one of the pastors. Just got back from a week of vacation. Had a great time with two of my four children and three of our, all three of our grandchildren. And it's great to be back with you. And um, just want to share a couple of praises uh, as the offering's taken. First of all, we rejoice with Jordan and Carolyn Burbage. They used to be with us, moved to South Carolina. And uh, they had a baby boy, so we rejoice with them. Y'all may remember Carolyn on our worship team and Jordan involved in various ways. And also, uh, we've had some really exciting financial provisions in our church that I wanted to share with y'all. Um, first of all, we have had, had a need for a larger freezer for the food ministry that we do here. And God provided in the last week a freezer that is virtually brand new, worth at least $6,500 for free, given to our church. So we praise God for that. And I just want to express a deep personal gratitude for Shannon and Kathy Hayes. Uh, Shannon came, came on full-time as one of our pastors in January. Kathy's been with us before that. And, and they have just been amazing in going through some of our financial workings as a church. Where can we save money? How can we even be better stewards as a church? Because we really treat every penny given to Living Hope with incredible thanksgiving, and we want to be good stewards, and we want to handle our finances with integrity and so forth. And so just a couple examples of some areas that they have really been a blessing to our church. We recently uh, adjusted some things with our property insurance, and it's going to save us $6,800 a year as a church. Yes. And then uh, I still don't understand all the details. You can fill me in later, Shannon, on how this worked. But basically, something with our gas bill and how that's done, we're going to save $4,700 a year on our gas bill as a church. So praise God for that. So because of that and because of your faithfulness in giving, and thank you for every one of you that so faithfully give, we as an elder board just this week decided to apply another $10,000 directly to our mortgage principal to reduce our debt on this property. So that's another huge praise. Because we want to get rid of that as quick as can. So if any of you have $1.3 million that you want to give to, to alleviate our mortgage, we would receive that. Come talk to me after the service. No, really, I'm ask, I've been asking God more regularly, God, would you just provide $1.3 million so that we can have no debt, and, and even increase our tithe beyond 10%. Wouldn't that be cool? I also have another quick praise. Uh, Brooks, would you come up, please? And I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but uh, willing to say something for a minute? Yeah, you're, 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 you're always willing. I love that. So another exciting announcement. Brooks Lamont has been doing an internship with us for the last year, and he's full-time with Phi Slam Ministry at UGA. But because of his internship and the amazing heart that we've seen in him, we have asked him to come on staff for 10 hours a week, and it started this week, overseeing our home groups. Y'all been hearing a little bit about this, but our vision for the fall is home groups that people or you are connecting in a home, in a small group, based on where you live. So you're geographically connecting with people that you live close to. And so exciting to announce uh, Brooks coming on 10 hours a week, part-time staff to oversee these home groups. And um, you want to say anything? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. So I started coming to Living Hope uh, in the spring of my freshman year of college. And so I'm coming up on four and a half years here at Living Hope. And uh, it's just crazy to think that this is where my lifetime of ministry is going to start here at this place that has been so special and has been my home for um, my college experience. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to be here to help um, be a part of what's going on in this family. I'm excited to see what it looks like when the church starts to begin to gather in the home around the table and do what Jesus did with his disciples and sharing meals together and doing life together. And it's going to be a special thing. Um, and I'm excited to be on this journey with you guys. Thanks, bro. All right. You put that on. Ma'am. All right. Before we dismiss our children, uh, turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, we are in this study of the book of 1 John. And one of the things that I want to remind us of and why we're going to land and linger 
on one verse today. Sometimes in a study of the book of the Bible, you come to one verse and you go, that's enough to preach. But the whole message is going to be on this one verse, and you're going to have this memorized by the end of this message because we're going to repeat it together over and over. Matter of fact, we're going to start it right now. Say with me. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. So, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, you would anoint this time. We bind Satan in Jesus' name, and I ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes and bring freedom to captives today for your glory. Amen. All right, children that wish to go to Children's Church, you're dismissed out that exit right there. 1 John 4, 4 is where we're going to be, and the context of this book, let me remind you of, is that John is... Two, two major things going on in 1 John. One is he's, he's calling believers to know why they're saved and, and to make sure that, that they are truly saved. And so in this book, there is a number of indicators. How do you know if you're truly born again? Is it just because you pray a sinner's prayer and you get baptized and join a church and go to church on Sundays? Is that what makes you a Christian? Or are there certain fruits that need to manifest to prove that the root is genuine? The answer to that is yes. I've come up with 13 signs of a believer from 1 John. And then he's also addressing false teaching. It was true then, it's true now. Listen, if you're not under sound biblical preaching of the Word of God, you are easily led astray. And so he's addressing these false teachers, some that said Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, others that said Jesus wasn't really God. And so there are these doctrines, these teachings that are false. And he's warning them, be alert, be wise. Have your thinking cap on. But then he says something very interesting, and Dustin did a great job of this last week, that behind those false teachings are false spirits. Behind those false teachings are demons. He makes no mistake about it. He doesn't play around. He doesn't dance the issue. He says, look, there's a demonic power. These are antichrist spirits. There's the Antichrist who's going to come, 2 Thessalonians 1. But then there's these little a Antichrist that come and infiltrate the church and try to deceive you as believers into thinking that something's true when it's not. And it's not just doctrinal, it's moral, it's relational. And so our first point today is that spiritual warfare is real, you guys. It's not just some, you know, a guy in a red suit thing. No. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible speaks of demons and Satan, and they're real, and they haven't vanished the earth. They're alive and well. I like the guy who said, Satan's as mean as the devil. (laughs) Better beware. Literally, in Genesis, you have Satan appearing as a snake, deceiving Adam and Eve. In Exodus, you have Moses performing miracles under the power of God, but then you had the magicians doing false signs and wonders to deceive people. Say, how does that work? Well, that's a whole other message. Deuteronomy, before you enter the promised land, God says, look, be warned, don't get involved in it. If you look at that list in Deuteronomy 18, it's all spiritual warfare stuff. Sorcery, witchcraft, consulting the dead, mediums, spiritists, that is demonic stuff. You go down here to the street and you, do, you get your palm read by that little place down the street, you are opening your life to demons right then and there. This stuff is real. You need to be informed. Then you go to the Gospels. Jesus, what does he often do in his ministry? He's casting demons out. He's setting the captives free. The Gadarene demoniac had multiple demonic spirits enslaving his life. He was cutting himself. He was whacked out. And it was because of demons in his life. Jesus casted him out, set the guy free. It didn't end there. The book of Acts. Jesus transferred this authority to his believers. And if you're in Christ today, you have authority over Satan. Hello, because he who is in me. Say it together. Repeat after me. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. See, you've already memorized the verse of the Bible today. Isn't that awesome? So Jesus transfers this authority to the early church. And in the book of Acts, you see these New believers, new believers. They didn't have to get a seminary degree and be proficient in Greek and Hebrew because they had Jesus in their life. Because he who is in me, amen. So because they had the indwelling Holy Spirit that happened on the day of Pentecost, they went out and they casted demons out. They helped people get set free. Now listen, folks, the end times church, 
that God is raising up today is going to be a triumphant, victorious, filled with the Holy Spirit church that's going to do signs, wonders, and miracles. And if you are not willing to be a part of that end times church, you are going to get boiled over. Because there's no longer middle ground, no longer lukewarm, no longer passivity and standing in the middle. You're either in God's camp or the enemy's camp. And what God is doing today, our world is getting darker, but God's power is getting stronger. Our world is getting darker, but the light of Jesus shining in that dark world is getting brighter and brighter. And the end times army that he's raising up, and may we be a part of that, is going to be triumphant, victorious, and is going to help set the captives free. Hallelujah be to God. So in the book of Acts, you see new believers. Believers helping bring deliverance, casting demons out of people. You continue through the New Testament. James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee. 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, but resist him, standing firm. Ephesians chapter 6 says your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the wicked spirits in high places, but stand firm and put on the full armor of God. Then you continue, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says that the Son of Man came to destroy the works of the devil. Then you go to the book of Revelation and you see that Satan and demons will be bound for a thousand years during the millennial reign of Christ. They'll be set free for a brief period of time to deceive, if possible, the, even the elect. But then, hallelujah, Jesus will throw Satan and every demon of hell into the lake of fire forever and we will reign with him forever free from all that mess. So literally, from Genesis to Revelation, you have this spiritual conflict. Satan and demons seeking to deceive people. Now, in C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, which I highly recommend, if you want a book that you won't be able to put down, it's a, it's a fictitious book where C.S. Lewis, with biblical accuracy, is, is, it's, a, it's a higher demon uh, instructing a lower demon on how to work and how to deceive and how to infiltrate the church and Christians' lives. Fascinating book. Well, in the introduction to Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis says this, Satan himself, would love Christians to fall into one of two extremes. The one extreme is to live as if he doesn't exist. And then the other extreme is to blame him for everything. Now, I believe in America, we tend toward this extreme, living as if he doesn't exist. Don't even think that he might be a part of that problem and struggle that you've been having for years that you can't seem to get victory over. And you've never considered until today, because God's going to set you free, that maybe it was a demonic presence influencing you. You see? So we tend to be way over here. We don't, we don't think that he even still works today. Oh, that's just, you know, that's just, that's just Bible stuff. That was for the bygone era, but not today. But I've done a lot of ministry in Africa, and Pastor Isaac would attest to this. He said, in Africa, he says, man, people are way over here. They blame Satan for everything. And they put more focus on demons than Jesus. <laughs> and so where's the, I don't really like the word balance. I like the word biblical accuracy. We want biblical accuracy. And in Ephesians 4, verse 27, listen, it says, don't give the devil a place. And that's written to believers. Okay, in Ephesians 1, he had established the superiority of Jesus. In Ephesians 2, he had established that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Then in Ephesians 4, he says, don't give the devil a place. And that Greek word is topos, which literally, which is the word we get topography. It literally means real estate. So picture your life, picture the spiritual part of your life where you're sealed with the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. That's your house. Satan can't enter that. But you also have your property. You have your yard. You have your acreage. And if you give demons a place on your property, they have a legal right to be there. And until they're commanded to leave, they don't have to. Because God works on a legal system and so does Satan. And if you've given place, if you've given topography to the enemy... Through sin, disobedience, believing lies, bitterness, unforgiveness, all kinds of stuff. Then he has a legal right to be there. In that area of your life that you've always wondered, why can't I seem to get victory? Why do I just get off on a rage? I get so mad at my kids and my wife. And you just start tearing things apart. And you, you, you destroy things in your house. And you're like, wait, who was that? I'm out of control. Feels like an out-of-the-body experience. Probably a demon. Yeah. And that's my prayer today, is that some of you that have some issues in your life that are demonic, you're going to have your eyes open, you're going to see it, and you're going to get victory today. Because you've just thought, oh, 
all Holt's are this way. All Johnson's are this way. All Wilkerson's. We just have this temperament. We're just all prone to laziness. We're just all prone to materialism. We're just all prone to adultery. Well, that might be a demon. It ain't just your lineage. It's not just your, your last name that's to, to be responsible for that. If you gave place to the enemy, then there might be demonic control in that area of your life that you need to get set free from. Spiritual warfare is real. John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The thief, Satan, demons come to steal. Steal your joy, steal your fruit, steal your victory. Steal your love, steal your family. Steal your kids. Kill. Kill you. Kill your spiritual life. Literally take you out physically. Suicide. Steal, kill, destroy. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy our country, and he's doing a pretty darn good job at it, isn't he? When are Christians going to stand up for truth? Start voting biblical values. Hello? Running for school boards, running for the governorship, running for this position. We need believers that are helping run this country instead of the morons who are doing it now. Sorry, but it's true. It's true. Come on, church. The end times church needs to rise up, take a stand, and be who God's called us to be. Praise God, our Supreme Court justices are getting some truth in them, beginning to hopefully make a decision to not continue the endorsement of the killing of babies in this country. Amen? Listen, any country that can okay the killing of babies, it makes you question their ability to make all kinds of right and wrong decisions, doesn't it? I will never vote for somebody who is for abortion. I won't. You say, well, that's a single-issue deal. Well, then you call it what you want, but it is what it is in my life because I can't trust any politician who can't see that that's life in the womb making other decisions. Sorry for the rabbit trail. First service didn't get it. Maybe you needed it. I don't know. But the Bible says he comes to steal, kill. Kill babies, kill families, kill churches. Listen, I remember, um, I think it was Dr. Tim Warner in my class on demonology at Trinity, he said one of the biggest tools of the enemy is to render Christians spiritually ineffective. See, if he can get you to go into passivity, if he can get you to just be lukewarm, if he can get you to think that, oh, I prayed the sinner's prayer, I got baptized, I'm a member of a church, so I'm okay, right? Oh, he's got you right where he wants you. The Christian who is seeking to live godly and obey the truth of the word and take their stand and submit to God, resist the devil, guess what? You just increase the target on your chest. But welcome to the end time army because you can have victory in Jesus' name because the second part of John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Second part, but I have come that you might have life and life abundant. Life that's fruitful and meaningful and victorious. So that leads to point number two today. Jesus has already won the victory. That's the good news today. Listen, we don't fight to victory. We fight from victory. We fight to enforce upon our given life now the victory that was won 2,000 years ago at the cross. Hallelujah. His name is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. It says in Ephesians 1 that he has the name and he has the authority that is far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Listen, he didn't just inch Satan out. He lapped him. He didn't just inch him out of the finish line like the Kentucky Derby. He lapped him. And every time he lapped him, he said, you're defeated. You're defeated. I'm going to lap you again. I'm going to lap you again. He didn't just win by an inch. He is far above. Hallelujah. Raw rule, authority, power, and dominion. Jerry, can you say amen to that? Now, come on. He's also superior in his power. Listen, Satan is a wimp compared to Jesus. Now, we need to have a healthy respect for spiritual warfare, but you should not have a fear of Satan. Somebody said, oh, Pastor David, you must have, you must have had a really tough week because you're preaching on spiritual warfare. I bet you came under great attack this week. Actually, I didn't. And I'm not saying this with any sense of pride, but I'm walking with the Lord. I'm in the Word every day. I'm praying. I'm worshiping. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, no, my week was really no different. Now, I, I've had times when 
remember one Sunday in, in, in uh, Winnetka Bible Church, I was in seminary, and I was preaching their young adult class on spiritual warfare. I got up that morning. I'm getting ready. I'm having my breakfast. And next thing I know, I'm over the toilet throwing up. And I'm like, this is the enemy in Jesus' name. I, reju- I reject and resist any demonic attack on my life right now. I command you to leave. Boom, immediately felt better. So those things do happen. But we don't walk in fear and intimidation because he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Say it together. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Who is that he that is in you? It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's all of the Trinity. <laughs> You get all of God. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're sealed to the day of redemption. You have God living in you, believer. And so he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. That's a capital H. See that? He, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you're you're saved today, you have the indwelling God in you. Now, if you're not saved today, then you're in the enemy's camp. We've talked about this in 1 John. He says you're either a child of God or a child of the devil. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. No middle ground. So if you're not saved, then this verse doesn't apply to you. Matter of fact, if you're not saved, he who is in you is the same one who is in the world. (laughs) But the minute you get saved, another comes to indwell you. Another comes to inhabit you. Another comes to forgive you. Another comes to set you free. Another comes who is more powerful than Satan and demons. Jesus has won the victory. So turn to two verses real quick. Go to the left a few books to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. It's interesting that both these passages is chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Since therefore the children, that's you and me, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. He partook of flesh and blood. This is why the incarnation is so important. That through death, say through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver, say deliver, all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. How did he defeat him? Through death. When Jesus died on the cross, he not only paid the penalty for sin, he also gives us the power over sin. He defeated Satan. He disarmed him. Go to, go to Colossians chapter 2. I love this. This, this. this little word disarmed is so significant. Imagine being in a battle and your enemy has no arms, has no ammunition, has no armament. Has no hand grenades, no, no, no guns, no machine guns, no, 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 no missiles. You're disarmed. Then, then what do you do? All right, in, in verse 14, Colossians 2, 14, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Thus he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, say disarmed, the rulers and authorities, those are demonic spirits and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him or by the cross. And so your enemy has no arms. So what can he do? He can shout at you. He can lie at you. He can try to accuse you. He screams at you. But he has no arms. He's been disarmed. Jesus has defeated Satan. He has not annihilated him. That'll come later, praise God. He's not thrown him into the lake of fire forever yet. But he will be, amen. So in the meantime, we have this battle, but we don't fight to win like, oh, it's up to me to make it happen. i got to strive and struggle, and i got to read my Bible three hours a day or else I can't have victory in you. It's flesh. It's all flesh. It's, it's you trying to do it. No, you stand your ground. You stand in the victory you have. You enforce upon the now what was done 2,000 years ago. You bring to bear now what was done for you 2,000 years ago. Christ has won the victory. Martin Luther in his great hymn, A Mighty Fortress, one little word shall fell him. One little word shall fell the enemy, shall defeat the enemy. In the name of Jesus, you be gone. In the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. That's the victory you can have. 
That's the authority you have. So point number three is we have authority in Christ. Now let's look at Luke chapter 10. This is a great passage. Turn in your Bibles. Luke chapter 10. Listen, anything Jesus said to his disciples applies to us today. You don't believe that, you're not going to walk in the victory and freedom and in the inheritance that you have. He gave to his disciples what was a model for us to follow. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 72 returned. They had been out ministering with joy, saying, Lord, this is Luke 10, 17, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they had gone out, they had seen miracle signs and wonders. They had seen demons cast out of people and they're all fired up and excited and they should be. But Jesus just wants to give them a little bit of kind of let's, let's, let's get, let me just give you a little perspective here. He says, first of all, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So as they were ministering in the physical, Jesus was able to see in the spiritual. By the way, that book, um, the novel by um, Frank Peretti, This Present Darkness, Oh, man, there's another one you won't be able to put down. I remember I finished that at 3 a.m. in Creswell dorm. Couldn't put it down. It was a freshman in college or sophomore in college. So that book helps you see. It talks about the physical, then it takes you up into the spiritual. It, it, it creates this scene where the church is divided, and they're bickering, and they're getting into arguments with one another. Why? Because the prayer cover was low. People weren't praying. And then the demons were able to come into that church and create division and strife and jealousy and all kinds of relational conflict. So he takes you up into the spiritual realm and you see the demons are having victory. Then the church begins to pray. Then the church begins to repent. Then the church begins to do what they're supposed to do. And all of a sudden, he takes you into the spiritual and the, and the angels, boom, are there strengthened to hold back the forces of darkness. And I remember asking Tim Warner, who I was taking this demonology class in college, and I said, Dr. Warner, I know that book's a novel, but do you think it's biblically accurate? And he said, 100%. 100%. And so that's what Jesus is talking about here. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Y'all were out ministering in the physical, but in the spiritual, the power of God was moving. Demons were being held back. Captives were being set free. And then he says this, behold. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all. Do you see that word? All? Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Wonder, what that, wonder, what, wonder what that word means in the Greek. It means all. Yeah. It means all. None of you don't need a degree in, in Greek. A-L-L means A-L-L. It means there's no realm in which you don't have authority over. I mean, wouldn't it be sad if it was partial authority? Oh, you have authority here, here, and here, but, well, you don't have it here. Too bad. So sad. No. All. I have given you authority to tread. I've given you authority to tread on serpents, scorpions, over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless. And this is like, hey, guys, this is awesome. You ought to be excited. You ought to rejoice. Do a couple backflips. But just hold on. Just for perspective, <laughs> don't go overboard here. Don't be like what Pastor Isaac says is often happening in Uganda. Those of you watching, pastors, I know you. Some of you are imbalanced here. You need to hear this. We're imbalanced over here. So, hey, fair is fair. We're going to help each other. But just this part's for you. <laughs> Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, don't ever get more joy out of doing spiritual warfare than you get out of just knowing Jesus Christ personally. Amen? So again, rather than balance, I'll just say accuracy. Biblical accuracy is that our joy from just walking with God, knowing Jesus, having our sins forgiven, being righteous in His sight, that should always be the number one joy in our life. Oh, and with it, icing on the cake, we get authority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We also get authority. I mean, all this is amazing. This gives me my primary joy. I'm going to focus on Jesus, my relationship with him. And in addition to that, how cool. He's given me authority to not only resist for myself, but others. We can get rid of demons in our life. And believers, we can, get, we can help others get free. It's called deliverance. And the end time church that's coming, that God's raising up. It's going to include signs, wonders, miracles, healings, and deliverance. I remember the first time that I casted a demon out of a guy. He said, 
I feel, Pastor David, like when I go into certain settings, something overtakes me. It's almost like I'm, it's, it's out of my control. Well, that raised my spiritual antenna and discernment, and it sounds like a demon. And sure enough, that guy got set free from about nine demons that day. Now listen, if you think, if you think that just because you're saved, you can't be under demonic influence, you are highly mistaken and deceived. And I'm going to show you a diagram in a minute that will help us all come together. Christians cannot be demon-possessed, but they can be demon-oppressed. And the Greek word that's used in the New Testament, it's, this, I love the NIV in so many ways. I actually, sometimes I prefer it over the ESV just because of its readability. But there's one area of the NIV that gets it dead wrong is they use the word possessed. It's never does the Greek say a person is possessed by a demon. There's two phrases used in the Greek. One is having a spirit and the other is demonized. It's the Greek word daimonizomai. And it just means a degree of control. Okay, so if you give place to the enemy, Ephesians 4.27, then you can come under the control of the demon or demons in that area of your life. You're not possessed, but they're having influence over you, see? You've given them property. You've given them real estate. And you need to resist it, command it to leave. And until that area is renounced and resisted, they don't have to leave. But in Jesus' name, believer, you have the authority to do James 4, 7. And that's our key verse today, in addition to 1 John 4, 4. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. First, you submit to God. Then you resist the devil, and it promises he will flee. Now, if you resist before you submit, you might be like the folks in Acts that thought that they could just use this formula. You know, oh, Jesus whom Paul preaches. And they said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? And they got stripped naked and they fled. Demons whooped up on them because they thought it was some formula. They tried to resist because, but before they had submitted. Listen, there's an order. Submit to God. That's when you yield to God, you surrender to God, you take back the place you gave the enemy. You renounce the areas that you gave place to the enemy. You have sex outside of marriage, you create a soul tie with that person, that gives room to demons. I've had so many people say, man, why do I feel this, in, this invisible link to this person? We had sex, we broke up, then I had sex with this person outside of marriage, we broke up, but it seems like every time I hear that name, or every time I, I see a commercial that reminds me, it's like there's this invisible link to that person. I say, that's because there's a soul tie. You gave ground to the enemy. There's probably a demonic influence in your life because of your sin. And until you confess that and renounce that and command it to leave, it can stay there. And so they do. They say, God, I confess that I had sex outside of your will with such and such. And if I gave ground to the enemy, I resist that. I command that to leave in Jesus' name. And they get set free. All of a sudden, they can hear that name of that person next time. And it's like, man, it doesn't affect them anymore because they're free. They gave place to the enemy. Listen, repeated sin. There's a reason that the stores down the street say wine and spirits. Hello. You ever thought about that? Come on. You ever thought about that? Wine and spirits. Hello. You continually give in to alcohol. You get drunk. It becomes an addiction. Oh, we just have addiction in our family. It's a disease. It's a sin. It's called the sin of drunkenness. Hello. And it gave ground to Satan, and you have demons in your life because you've given ground, and those need to be resisted in Jesus' name. God, I confess that I have sinned the sin of drunkenness, drug abuse, bitterness, unforgiveness. God, I confess that. I renounce that. If that gave ground to the enemy, I command any demons that I have given ground to to leave in Jesus' name and go where Christ sends you. That's what you do, and you get set free. That's the beautiful thing today, because he who's in me is greater than he who's in the world. Let's say it together. He who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. And James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Now, I have a little pamphlet in the back there. I don't even remember the name of it. It might be called Solving Problems God's Way. I don't know, but I use a baseball diagram because I'm a big baseball fan. First base. Second base, third base, home, right? Home is freedom. 
Now you get a hit, hit the ball. Where do you go first? Do you run to third base first? No. What base first? First. Then where? Second. Then third. Even if you hit a home run, you got to touch all the bases, right? <laughs> well, this is the, here's the pattern for victory in your life. Submit to God, first base. Any problem you have, it can be physical, it can be relational, it can be emotional, it can be mental, but you have a problem. You have a conflict. You have something in your life that's not the way God wants it. You're frustrated, okay? Go to first base first. Submit to God. God, I submit to you. I yield to you. Lord, show me, show me anything in my life that's not right with you. Woo! See, some of you are going to have some serious homework to do after today. Because you're going to go today, you're going to go to a park, you're going to get alone for a couple hours, or tomorrow, don't put it off. And you're going to say, God, I want to be radically right with you. God, I want to be free. I want to experience the second half of John 10.10. Life abundant. Lord, I want to surrender and I want to submit to you. I want to yield to you. Lord, show me if there's any areas that is not right with you. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Listen, I had a guy one time. He was doing this. I know things sound, you may not believe it. You can say it's weird, but it's true. He began to just get deeply serious and being radically right with God. And he said, God, show me anything, any place I've given ground to the enemy. And all of a sudden, he remembered this little voodoo doll that he brought back from a missions trip. He thought it was just this little, you know, memento. I put it on his shelf. Thought it was a reminder of his time in, in this foreign country. Well, he started realizing that ever since he brought that thing back, they were having sickness in their home. He was having conflict with his wife. Just weird things began to happen. God showed him, get rid of that. That has a curse on it. You can say, I don't believe that. Well, you can believe it or not, but it's true. This is why Deuteronomy 18, he told them to stay away from all that kind of stuff. So it had a curse on it. There were demons connected to that physical object. He brought it into his home. He got rid of it. He burned it. He renounced that in Jesus' name. All of a sudden... No, exactly. Things cleared up. So there's a lot of ways you can give place to the enemy. Let me give you a list of some of the most common areas that we give ground. Now, there's a lot. This is not an exhaustive list. Sin, of course, that violates God's standard of purity, and so sin in any form. Fear, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. That doesn't mean all fear is demonic, but it can be. Fear. I think a lot of people have given... Ooh. The shoe fits where it. I love you, right? Y'all know I love you. I think a lot of believers have given in to a spirit of fear through COVID. Listen, some of you are still not in church. Come on. Really? Come on. You go to the grocery store. You went to the G-Day game. Oh, but the church isn't safe. Everybody's not wearing a mask. Come on. You're living in fear. You're letting fear control your life. Come on. It's time to get over it. Bitterness, unforgiveness, that's huge. Yeah, but they hurt me and I'll never forgive them. Well, then you're allowing them to control your life now. <laughs> They're gone on with their life. They don't give a flying rip about you, but you're giving place to the enemy because you're not forgiving. Matter of fact, in Matthew 18, when he gives that whole parable about forgiveness, he says that God will deliver you to the tormentors. Ooh, you look it up. I didn't write the book. But in the end of Matthew 18, regarding unforgiveness, it says if you, if you harbor a spirit of bitterness and unforgiveness towards somebody who has sinned against you or hurt you, you are the, the, God may deliver you over to the tormentors. Demonic spirits have gained access to your property. They can't get in your house if you're a believer, but they're on your property through bitterness and unforgiveness until you confess it and renounce it and resist them. False spiritual activities, that'd be like horoscopes, Ouija boards, going to the palm reader down the street. That's looking for a spiritual experience or guidance through something other than God. Now, I know ancestral sins is a whole other sermon. Three books I highly recommend, and they, the seventh step to freedom deals with this, ancestral sins, but uh, the, the, the two best books on spiritual warfare you could ever read. I used to say they were in my top five, all, top ten all-time Christian books. Now I'd say my top five, other than the Bible. These are my, in my top five. Victory over the darkness, the bondage breaker. And in the bondage breaker, he walks you through the steps to freedom. Seven steps to freedom. If some of you feel really desperate to do this, I've got seven copies in my office, and I'll give you one today. 
But this is where you get alone with God for about three hours and you pray through these things. It's every area where you might have given ground to the enemy. And then you just do James 4, 7. But ancestral sins are the sins of our ancestors that get passed on to us. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, neither was it fair that we inherited an Adamic nature. We're born sinful, right? Well, that's something we didn't do. That was Adam. But that's just the way it works. That's the way it works in God's kingdom. And so this, I believe this is important because it shows that you're not just an island, that your actions don't just affect you. They can affect your family. So fathers especially, you let sin in your camp, you let sin in your family, it can transfer down to your children. You're the umbrella over your house. If you have holes in your umbrella, it'll trickle down and affect your kids. This is why men especially, we need to be on our knees, praying, standing guard over our families, not letting sin get in, because it will not only affect us, it'll affect our kids. So you have, oh, believe it or not, yeah, four generations back, we've, they've all been, they've been alcoholics, all in our family. Hello, might want to bind that spirit of alcoholism that came through your lineage. That's, that's the seventh step in the steps to freedom. Anger and rage, that's in Ephesians 4. Sexual sin, we already covered that. It can develop a soul tie. That's supported by 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says if you, if you uh, have sex with a prostitute, you become one with her. That's talking about sexual sins in a different category. Sin is sin, but that's in a different category. It particularly gives ground to the enemy, believing lies, and there's so many others. Now, I want to show you a diagram that's going to really help this all come together. Because we've used these three circles regularly, but it's so helpful in this topic. This comes from Jerry Kaiser. I so appreciate it. That basically, again, we are spirit, soul, and body. That center circle, the red circle, is our spirit. That's your house. Remember, we talked about your house and your property. The soul and body circles are your property, but the, the, the red circle is your house. Before you're saved, you are dead in your sins. You're a part of the kingdom of darkness. You are a child of the devil. When you get saved, here's the born-again believer. Watch what happens. The born-again believer, the Spirit, is made new. You're a new creation in Christ. That dove is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes to seal you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's your house. It's secure. Satan and demons cannot enter your spirit being, but if you give place to them in your soul and body being, then they can come in, they can come on your property and develop what are called strongholds. See these little demon creatures? Person's giving ground to the enemy. Unforgiveness, bitterness, drunkenness, sexual sin, ancestral sins, all kinds of things come in and begin to take this person captive. It goes from a foothold to a strong, it goes from a toehold to a foothold to a stronghold. Look at that. This person is, they're in bondage. Look at that. But here's what happens when you get delivered. You see? Let's do it again. Bring him in again. You begin to submit to God. You begin to resist the devil. You begin to get radically serious. You begin to come against these powers of darkness. You command them to leave. You do James 4, 7, and they have to flee. That's called deliverance. The best deliverance is self-deliverance, where you do this for yourself. Sometimes you need the help of another believer. Praise God we're in the army of God. Praise God that sometimes you got to call a medic. Sometimes you call the lieutenant colonel. Sometimes you call your captain and you say, I don't, I'm kind of out of my league here. I'm being overcome by the enemy. Would you come in and help me? Praise God for the body of Christ. Praise God you got believers that will come around you and pray for you and help you do deliverance. But even if, even if you have the help of others, you need to know your position in Christ. You need to know that you can do this on your own. And so as a church, even though we may at times help cast demons out of people and help set them free, at the end of the day, even after that, we need to sit them down and disciple them, help them know who they are in Christ, help them know that the, the one who is in them is greater than the one who is in the world, so that then they don't have to call us at 3 a.m. every day. I love you. It's okay that you woke me up. I'll pray for you over the phone. But guess what? You have Jesus in you, right? Yes. You submit to God. Yes. You, you resist the devil. Yes. Yes. You, you. And so you, you equip them. What's the job of the pastor? I'm doing this today. Equip the saints for the work of service. I can't be in all your lives. I can't be in all your homes. I'm equipping you through the word of God. Equip the saints for the work of service. I'm empowering you. I'm telling you, you can do this. There's joy and hope and victory for you today. You see, it's much like deliverance and getting victory in spiritual warfare. It's much like salvation initially. 
What happened at salvation? Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin, shed his blood, rose from the dead, put into our spiritual bank account all the spiritual money you would ever need to be saved, right? But for you to have it, what do you have to do? You have to go to the bank and make a withdrawal. You say, I trust in Christ. I repent of my sins. I receive Jesus. Hallelujah. And that's where you, with, you withdraw from that spiritual bank account what you need to be justified by faith and declared righteous before God. Well, in the same way that happened to justification, it happens with spiritual warfare. God has put in your spiritual bank account everything you need for victory. He's given you authority. He's defeated Satan. So you go to the bank. And you say, I need deliverance in this area. And you make a withdrawal. Because he's equipped you. He's given you authority. You have everything you need for life and godliness, the Bible says. Now, I used this illustration a few weeks ago, but I'm going to use it in just a little bit of a different twist. But when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed by Abraham Lincoln in the 1800s, what did that do? It legally set free every slave in this country. At that moment, what he did legally set free every, every slave in this country. But did that mean that every slave all of a sudden started walking in their freedom? Of course not. Matter of fact, many slave owners, they wanted to keep that information from the slaves. Oh, don't believe it. That's not true. Sounds like Satan, doesn't it? Don't believe what, I've, what you've heard Pastor David say today. That's not true. It's too good to be true. And so he tried to keep them ignorant, tried to keep them enslaved so that, so that those slave owners could control them. But as news got out, as the truth was told, as slaves began to believe what was true, the moment he signed the Emancipation Proclamation, what happened? They began to stand for the freedom they had. You don't have the right to own me anymore. I am legally free. And there were battles, and it took years, did it not, for that slave, for that freedom to be realized. But the moment that proclamation was issued, it legally set them free. Beloved, we have the greatest emancipation proclamation ever issued to humanity. It's right here in God's Word. It was accomplished at the cross of Jesus. And it's high time Christians believe what is true about them. It's high time you believe what is true about you. Quit letting Satan beat you up. Now, I'm going to use a word I tell kids not to use, but I'll use it, and I think it's appropriate today. Quit taking his crap. Quit taking the demons and the devil's crap. You have been given authority. Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead to have you walk in spiritual mediocrity. He died and rose from the dead and shed his blood and gave you his Holy Spirit so you could walk in victory and freedom because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But resist him. But resist him. Ephesians 6, the battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness. Stand firm. Don't back down. Put on that armor. Stand and claim what is rightfully yours. Stand and claim the victory and the joy and the freedom that Christ came to give you. That area of your life that you've always wondered, why can't I seem to get victory? Today can be the beginning of you walking in victory. But you've got to do James 4, 7. That's the key. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Got to do all three. You submit to God. Surrender. Renouncing areas that you gave place to the enemy. Yielding your life. Saying, God, I want to experience all that you died to give me. I yield my life. I surrender to you. Then you resist. I command any Demons that I've given ground to to be gone in Jesus' name and go where Christ sends them. Remember I talked about my baseball diagrams. First base, submit to God. Second base, resist the devil. I, every time I pray for somebody that has a physical infirmity, I'm going to give you two verses here. Can Satan and demon cause physical sickness? Absolutely. Does that mean that all physical sickness is demonic? No. I had my knee prayed for, wasn't healed. So I had knee replacement surgery in December. I'm so glad I did. Praise God for the doctors. So all physical issues are not demonic. But before I went to third base, the doctor, I did first and second base. I submitted to God. I resisted the devil. 
didn't take care of it, so I went to third base. I was a doctor. It might be medication. It might be a counselor. It might be a lot of things. But why do we go to third base first? <laughs> you go run to the doctor before you've even done first and second base. You go run to your medication before you've even done first and second base. Submit to God, first base. Resist the devil, second base. And he will flee. In Mark chapter 9, verse 25, Mark 9, 25, Jesus casted out a spirit of deafness and muteness. That's what it says. So the guy couldn't hear or talk, and it was because of a demon. In Luke 13, 11, it says, A woman crippled by a spirit for 18 years. Just telling you what it says. So she was crippled, and it was due to a demon. Demon cast out, she was healed. Doesn't always work that way. But again, why do we not do what the Bible says? Follow James 4, 7. Submit to God. Then resist. You have authority in Jesus' name to command evil spirits to be gone. And then, one more thing, and we'll take some questions. Then you refill that space that was occupied by demons, or else seven more can come back more powerful than the first. That's biblical. So when you've commanded the demons to leave, you need to refill that space with godly things. The filling of the Spirit, the Word of God, praise and worship, godly fellowship, obedience. You see? If you don't, then you've got empty space and the enemy comes right back in. Also, one more thing. When you resist, you need to do it verbally. You need to do it out loud. Satan cannot read your mind. He can put thoughts in your mind, or try to, but he can't read your mind. So when you do the second part of James 4, 7, always must be done verbally, out loud. So when we give you time for prayer in a little bit, if you need to get some space in the room, go off by yourself, plenty of room here, or come to the front to, so you can pray this out loud. We'll do it together, but you may need to do it on your own as well. It's important you do it verbally. Pray out loud. All right, let's take some questions. Shannon, there's a mic up here. I don't know where the second mic is. But um, we've got about seven minutes or so for questions. We had some good ones in the first service. So a lot of times we'll talk about uh, spiritual warfare uh, in terms where we're saying that Satan is doing this thing or that thing. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure how this works in terms of the spiritual dimension versus a physical dimension, but it gives the impression that Satan is omnipresent. So could you speak to maybe yeah. the way that we talked about, talk about that or what the real spiritual reality is? Yes. It sort of puts him in disproportion. So I'm wondering yeah. if you just clear that Thank up. You. So there's one, one Satan, many demons. Satan was originally Lucifer, was kicked out of heaven, took a third of the angels with him. And those are now demons. So it's probably not accurate to say Satan was attacking me. Again, I get what people are probably saying, but I almost want to say you're not that important. Sorry, but, but there's only one Satan, and he can only be one place at one time, but there's multiple demons. 30 of the angels, how many is that? I don't know. Just glad they're outnumbered by angels. <laughs> so, so demons, it's probably more, I'm under demonic attack. It's probably the more accurate way to say that, not Satan's attacking me. Good, good point of clarification. Um, what's the difference between being uh, demon-possessed possessed and um, demon-oppressed? Thank you. So if you look at those three circles, I don't know if we can bring them back up, but to be possessed would be to have a, demons owning you. That's what the word possessed means, to own. You know, I possess this Bible. I own this Bible. And so to be demon-possessed would be that, you, that demons have your spirit. And basically, all non-Christians are demon-possessed. Doesn't mean they're hanging from the chandeliers and foaming at the mouth and doing weird things like the gathering demoniac, but they are owned. They are owned by Satan. We've seen that in 1 John. You're either child of God or child of the devil. So possessed means that he would be in your he would own your spirit. Oppressed means that you are owned by God. You have the Holy Spirit in your spirit. So you're possessed by God, but you are oppressed or influenced by demons. So a Christian cannot be demon possessed, but he can be oppressed. That help? Christian cannot be demon possessed, but a Christian can be demon oppressed or under the influence of demons if they've given place and not resisted. Yes. 
I, I have one uh, about how I've watched a lot of movies and like the exorcist and stuff. It doesn't have to look like that. No. It, it, I mean, it, can you explain a little bit about that? How that? Yeah. So there are times, and I've experienced this, when demons manifest and you are in a full-blown spiritual warfare encounter, demons begin to speak through the person. I've seen that, experienced that, where it's, it's a growling voice usually, and you know it's not the person. So the demon has come in, they've taken over, and, and they start resisting you, and you just deal with it. It's, you don't get freaked out. You just say, in Jesus' name, I command you to leave. Um, or in Jesus' name, I command you to identify yourself. Sometimes that's helpful. gives the identity. But again, be cautious about how much you in, engage in conversations with demons because they come from the father of lies. So what do you believe anyway? But you can command them. I command you. Jesus did this with the Gadarene demoniac. Yes. What is your name? He said, Legion, for we are many. But he didn't go on and get into all kinds of deep, you know, theological conversation. He just said, be gone. <laughs> and so uh, there are times when you do engage with demons themselves. And get ready, church, it's going to happen more and more in our world. So this is why I'm trying to equip you, uh, because it's important that you be equipped to deal with this. Um, but the better approach, the ideal approach, is exactly what Neil Anderson does here, where the Christian does what I call self-deliverance. The Christ, Because ultimately, even if, even if a demon manifests out of this guy that I'm dealing with, okay, and I have to deal with it and I command it to leave, if he doesn't repent, if he doesn't take back, take back the ground he gave to the enemy then he's going to be worse off than the first time because they're going to come back seven more, the Bible says. Mm. And so, but there's times when I need to help him get set free. He's maybe, it just takes over or it's out of his control. Then I'm going to sit him down and say, dude, you realize what happened? Because the people that you do this with, a lot of times it's kind of like a dream experience. It's like they're kind of aware of what happened, but they're not totally. And so you got to explain to them what happened. And then you say, hey, dude, where, are you, where did you give ground to the enemy? <laughs> You know, where have you given place to the enemy? You need to repent of that. You need to get right with God. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be in the Word, you know, and that kind of thing. Again, or else he's going to be worse off. And so, but then as you equip him, he can do what this thing does. This just has all these great prayers where it literally, I'll give you the one about, um, here's the good, I just turned to it. So this is dealing with sexual sin. I confess that I have committed the sin of premarital sex, let's say. Thank you for your forgiveness and cleansing. I now turn from this sin and turn to you, Lord. Strengthen me by your Holy Spirit to obey you. Then, then, he, then it's this. I renounce, name the sin, I renounce drunkenness. I renounce bitterness. I renounce premarital sex. With, you name the person. I ask you to break that sinful bond with, you name the person. And then there's a whole two-paragraph prayer of just committing your body to purity and that kind of thing. Okay. And again, like I said, for me, many times I'll pray if, because I don't have all knowledge, if the sickness is of the enemy, I command that spirit of infirmity to be gone in Jesus' name. Now, if they're not healed immediately, then we may go to the doctor. But I'm going to also cover that base. Thank you. I've got one in the booth. So many times, what I was going to say is many times I'll pray if. If this gave ground to the enemy, I command any evil spirits that I gave ground to to be gone in Jesus' name and go where Christ sends you. Back in the booth. Hey, Pastor. Um, so my question is this. I know a lot of uh, either baby Christians or how you said earlier, passive Christians. How do you... How do you um, convince them of their need to repent or the the strongholds that that exist that, that's such a hard co conversation to have for someone who's not really mature in their faith well i think first of all just you know scripture 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 ephesians 6 our battle is not against flesh and blood and, and you can ask just ask good questions jesus ministered so often with good questions you know are you aware that there is a spiritual battle do you know anything about satan and demons i'm not trying to scare you or freak you out but the bible talks about this a lot and i want to help you you know offer the, for them to listen to a message like this read neil anderson's book um so i think it's just it's just discipleship you know, that's why i love our discipleship program here td1 transformational discipleship one just grounds you in the basics td2 then we get into things like spiritual warfare um, because the young man in first john 2 it's they're strong, and they overcome the evil one. And so it's just discipleship, helping them understand the biblical stuff. And then I think also, if, if you see that they're having struggle in an area, see, this can give them great hope. Let's say that they struggle with something like um, drugs and alcohol. 
or they just have this rage. They, get, they just go crazy sometimes when they get mad, and it's just like, man, that just seems so unlike them. You know, you can gently say, sometimes when we particularly struggle in an area, it's because there's an influence of, of Satan and demons. Have you ever considered that? Um, it's not saying, you need to be delivered, you're demonized. You know, that probably wouldn't be the approach I'd take. But it's just gently asking, have you considered that maybe this area could be, maybe the reason you're struggling could be that there's demonic influence? And then you begin to just walk them through the truths we've learned today. And hopefully, if they're saved, that they can resist and do, you know, or point them to this. All right, maybe two more. Yes, I, I want to ask about what if when children are in um, public school and they're exposed to so many different things, what um, would you tell parents? How do they equip their children to live that out in school or um, when, I mean, around family members that are not safe, you know, they're yeah. exposed to many demons and... No, that's a great question. First of all, when you, when you send your child to, and I'm not telling you you're wrong if you send your child to a public school. I understand some people maybe not feel like they have any choice, but, but when you send your child to the current public school that we have in this country, you need to cover them in incredible prayer because the things that are coming down the chute in the, in the current most public schools today is really, really, really ungodly. I mean, you look at even the stuff they're trying to teach kids now regarding sexuality at a young, young, young age. First, second, third grade, like you can choose your gender. Are you kidding me? So you, first of all, you got to be involved, parents. You need to go, and you can. You have the right now to look at the curriculum that they do, to study it, review it, and withhold your child from classes where they teach stuff that you know is unbiblical, like sexuality, and you know they're going to. They're going to they're gonna teach stuff that's not biblical. So you need to withhold your kid from those classes. Use it as a tool for discipleship. You know, take what the enemy intends for evil and turn it for good. And so, yeah, they're exposed to all these horrible things. We could just poo-poo that and be all anti that. And I, I just did. But how about reverse that and now say, hey, here's a great opportunity to show them the truth. To show them that this is not true. My daughter did this intern, did this one-year gap program called um, Impact 360. She learned how to answer atheists. So when she came to the University of Georgia, she had had a year of this training godly biblical worldview so when her teacher said you know the bible's full of contradictions there was my daughter raising her hand um could you please show me one she stood up because she had been equipped she had to read books by atheists and then refute them and so we need to take what's presented on the enemy side and counter it with truth and counter it with the light come at darkness with light but man cover your kids in prayer Every day you drop them off, I bind the powers of darkness over this school in Jesus' name. I plead the blood of Christ over my kids. Lord, don't let them hear anything that's not of you. Just help it go right over their mind, not even comprehend it. And you got to stand in the gap and fight for your kids. All right, one more. Great. Like to great say question. this I'm rebuking the devil. You can't just say, devil, I rebuke you. You have to rebuke him with authority to let him know that he's got to go. Satan, Damn. the Lord rebuke you in the name of Jesus, and I declare in the, under the blood of Jesus that you have to go, because if you let him think you just said, Satan, the Lord rebuke you, he ain't paying you no attention. Yeah. He'll you sense, let him he'll sense your, your, your weakness, right. won't he? That's right. That's right. You Amen. Be with authority. That's right. Thank and that's why, again, you come back to the victory of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, and the delegated authority that he's given you. He's given you the authority to do this, and you stand in who you are in Christ. Well, let's pray together. Submit to God. Are you willing right now to submit to the Lord? Yield to him. Surrender to him. Invite him to search your heart and life. Invite him to show you any area where you have given place to the enemy. Many of you have already been made aware of that. I encourage you right now to maybe find a place in the room if you need to just be alone. Get, lean against the wall, come to the front, go to a place where there's nobody around you. So you can do this if you need to. But I'm just going to walk you through this process now to submit to God. 
confess any area that you have violated His holy standard. Bring it to the cross. The blood of Jesus can cleanse of all sin. There's no bondage He can't give victory over. Hallelujah. Great hope and joy today. Then you resist. You resist the devil. Exactly what Leola just said. Command him in Jesus' name. I command any demons to be gone. I resist. And we're going to do this out loud in a minute. I resist Satan. Command them to go where Christ sends them. Sometimes it happens immediately. Sometimes you've got to persevere. You've got to apply some other tactics like worship and prayer and the word. Maybe you need the reinforcement of another believer. They're available today and after today. And then you refill that place with the Holy Spirit, godly things, word, prayer, worship, fellowship, or else those spirits will come back. So together out loud, if you're willing to do this, let's stand together, and I want our prayer team to begin to take your places, please. Let's stand together. Prayer team, if you need to use those side rooms today, you feel free to do that. So first of all, we're going to do this together out loud. If you're willing, repeat after me. I submit to you, God. I yield to you, Lord. I surrender my life to you, God. Praise you for your victory. Praise you for your name. Praise you for giving me authority. I resist the devil in Jesus' name. I command any evil spirits to be gone in Jesus' name. I resist the devil. I resist the demons. I command them to leave me and go where Jesus sends them. Now fill me, Lord, with your Spirit. Fill me with your Word. Help me believe your truth. Help me to stand in the victory you've given me. Oh Lord, we love you and we praise you. Thank you today that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Together, he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Oh God, I just pray now that the truths today would be sealed in our spirit and mind. I pray that you would take what we've learned today and have it be applied with great victory, authority, and freedom today, tomorrow, and for years to come. God, I pray that if there's people today in our lives that we need to point to this message, not because I've given anything great, but because your word is so awesome. You just put that on our hearts and minds, that we could help set other captives free. God, I pray that you would raise up at Living Hope an end-time army of men and women and children who stand firm, walk in the truth, and see as much as you'll allow us to,